Mindfulness Mode 374. As long as we stay connected to that, that will guide us to the right places. Hello and welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm your host, Bruce Langford, and this is the show that'll help you reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. In today's episode, we're going to talk with a wrestler, a Hall of Famer, an author who believes you can improve your life by placing your thoughts into categories, which he metaphorically calls rooms. Now, before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to offer you a free way to get better sleep. Drift off to sleep more easily. Get a great night's rest with with a deep, comfortable sleep. The first step is being able to fall asleep quickly with very little effort. And that can happen for you with the help of my free Sleep Naturally guided audio recording. You can download it right here at www.mindfulnessmode.com forward slash sleep. Sit back, relax, and let's get right into today's episode with author Kevin Murphy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here with the author of this book, The Three Rooms, and it is Kevin Murphy. So, Kevin, I'm delighted to have you with us today. Can't wait to talk to you. Kevin, are you in mindfulness mode today? I absolutely am, Bruce, and thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Well, The Three Rooms is a fantastic book, and I want to share a little bit about you with our listeners. Kevin Murphy is a former Wall Street managing director. He's a community activist, a wrestler, and a speaker. Following his college wrestling career, he served as a youth wrestling coach on Long Island for over 30 years, which is hard to believe. It led to his induction into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2009. He's also spearheaded a campaign to raise awareness of the opioid and drug epidemic that's sweeping the country. These experiences that I've just mentioned have given Kevin a unique and eclectic mix of understanding human nature. And he used this understanding to write the book, The Three Rooms, where he explains how observing which room your thoughts are in at any given time can change your experience of life. So the reason I said I could hardly believe you've been a wrestling coach for over 30 years is because you don't look old enough to have been a wrestling coach for over 30 years. But it's incredible what you've done, what you've put together into the three rooms here. Um, So I'll start with the question I always ask, what does mindfulness mean to you, Kevin? Well, I'd say that it means the conscious awareness of your thoughts. And, and I think more and more people today realize the importance of, let's say, monitoring your thoughts. And um, we hear more and more about the, you know, the a consciousness-minded lifestyle and living in the present moment, you know, being in the now. And so while people know it's really important to follow and monitor their thoughts, they just don't do a really good job of it. And so I think the purpose of the book is to help make it um, a lot simpler for people to be aware of their thoughts. And those thoughts just keep coming and coming and coming. I was interested in uh, how you talked about our internal GPS in the book. 
You had a section about that and you said, our built-in GPS is called many things, including divine consciousness, higher self, Holy Spirit sometimes. And you talked about how to turn on your internal GPS. Can you share with our listeners how you recommend turning that GPS on? Sure. And I think it's, it's, it's all about looking within and, and it's communication you know, with, with it, um, because, you know, we all, we spend so much time, you know, focusing on everything we see and hear in the world. And we allow that to affect how we feel inside instead of the other way around and letting how we feel inside start with that and then let that impact what we see and hear. And so when you, when you start to look within and know we have this, you know, we all have this internal guide and that's that, that connection of our consciousness with the this universal consciousness that kind of makes up everything and so you know going back to when i was talking about being consciously aware of your thoughts you know the the whole premise of the three rooms is that our experience of life is not based on on what we do for a living or what we have our possessions it's really based on what we think and our thoughts can only be in one of three places they can be in the past or the past room they can be in the future or the future room or they can be in the present or the present room. And whichever room your thoughts are in determines your experience of life in that moment. And so it's important to know, you know which room your thoughts are in. And in order to do that, you have to observe your thoughts. And it's that act of observation that separates your awareness from your thoughts. And now that's, that's that consciousness that all the mystics always talked about. That's that you know, divine consciousness, that universal consciousness. And that's what we want to tap into. And that internal GPS, that's what's there. That's what's inside all of us. And you know, it's not you know, in some people and not in others. It's in all of us. We're all connected to that. We just need to look inside and, and turn that internal GPS on. Every one of us, it's there. It truly is. It sounds like a lot of this started way back when you were living in a basement apartment and you were studying A Course in Miracles. How did you get into A Course in Miracles at such a young age? Well, it, it was actually my old high school wrestling coach. Um, we ended up finding ourselves as single dads and and. You know, I was living in his basement apartment, and um, we just started talking a lot about um, spirituality and, and, and a lot of different tests and, and, and tests of, of mindfulness, if you will. And, um, you know, I think it was a, a tape or a book, and someone at work, I think, recommended a Marianne Williamson book to me. And so mm -hmm. I started reading that, and she started talking about A Course in Miracles, and then we started to um, study it. And when we first got the, we actually shared um, the first um, text that we got in the workbook. And because he was a coach, he was very good at doing all the lessons. And you have to do one lesson each day for 365 days. And so I, I fell behind, but you just stay on the path. You don't, you don't speed up or you don't slow down. You just keep doing one lesson at a time. And I'll never forget the very last lesson when it came to 365, um, it's to this day, it's one of my, you know, my favorite mantra. And I think from a, from a mindfulness standpoint, um, having a, a personal mantra, that's something that resonates with you, something that connects you with that divine presence, you know, is really important. And I think lesson 365 said, you know, in this holy instant, what I give to you, be you in charge for I will follow certain that your direction will give me peace. 
it's that simple. It's kind of a surrendering, but it's also it's a it's getting guidance and it's bringing you know that peace to you, and you're kind of turning things over to a you know something that's a, a higher power that's greater than all of us. And I think a surrendering is something that many people struggle with. It's something that we need more of learning how to let go, learning how to surrender and not fight all the time. Would you agree with that? You're absolutely right, Bruce. It's, you know, because surrendering, you know, to the ego, surrendering is giving up. You know, yes. we, you know we hang on to, you know, Winston Churchill, you know, I will never, ever, ever give up. And that's, you know, I'm not surrendering and, you know, I'm tough and you got to push on, but surrendering, surrendering to a, to a higher power, to, surrendering to that, you know, that, that universal mind that we all have and that, um, you know, conscious that we all have, that's, there's nothing that could be more empowering than that. That's not, that's surrendering to something that's greater than you. And it's not an inferiority, you know, um, type move. No, it isn't. I enjoyed your section on interconnectivity. And you talked about don't force, don't try to force connections to happen. Let them happen. Can you expand on that for our listeners? Sure. I think everybody always tries to, to figure everything out. And, you know, there's, you know, and there's another section too, and, you know, be first, do second. And, you know, it's, it's being a doer is a good thing. And we want to be doers. And, but being something first and then doing it, you know, doesn't mean that you, you know, you sit back and, and I think that's why like the law of attraction sometimes gets a, you know, a bad rap because people think, okay, I'm just going to think about being rich. And then I wake up in the morning and there's a million dollars sitting at the end of my bed and it doesn't right. work that way. You still have to do something. And, and, but, you know, being first, you know, um, is, is owning that who you are and, and, and what you want to be. And then, then you kind of get guided to where to go and what to do because trying to figure things out everything out and 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 all the different connections that we can make um there's a there's a higher power within us that is already figuring all these things out for us and as long as we stay connected to that that will guide us to the right you know places you know and there's an interesting story i use about um dr zeus and true story that he was walking down the street one day and he bumped into an old friend and he had his children's book rejected 27 times. And he bumped into a friend and said, hey, how you doing? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm actually a new publisher. Um, I'd love to take a look at your book. And he did, published it. And, and, and you know, history was made with all these, you know, think of all the lives that he touched. Absolutely. Now, think of, think of if you're not open to that. First of all, think of if, if he was trying to make all these connections with all these publishers and do this and do that, could he have done it any better than, than it unfolded? It, it, absolutely not. But now also think about allowing yourself to be open. If you have in your mind, because obviously if he got rejected 27 times, that shows that there is a a real belief in what he's doing, you know, that he wants to get this done. He's willing to put himself out there. Now you have to allow it. So he's coming down the street and a friend's coming down the street. How many times do you see somebody go, oh, I don't feel like talking to him. And you, you duck into a store, you know, and if you yeah. do that and the person, I go, all right, I didn't have to talk to him. Well, if he yeah. did that, he never would have been a children's author. 
No. And, and we do that so many times. And, and especially if you see someone for the second time, if you duck someone once, that's one thing. You duck them again, you have to start wondering, why is this person keep showing up? Am I, maybe they have something for you. My suggestion would be is that if you duck someone one time and then you see them again the next day, you better go up to them and say, hey, what's going on? Like, there must be something in your mind. There must be something that you have for me or I can learn from you. Like, so, Bruce, what have you been doing? You know, what's going on with you? Like, I want to know why I keep bumping into you. There's a reason. (laughs) There's a reason. There is a reason. You know, inside your higher self knows and you just don't know yet and you have to allow it to happen. Yeah. I want to talk about the the relationship between wrestling and mindfulness, because I believe there is one, but I want to know what you think. Well, I think there's a, a really big one. And, um, you know, connecting the two, you, t- you typically don't think of that so much. And you don't think of a, a former wrestler writing a a book on on mindfulness or, or, or a consciousness-minded book, just like from a from a, a Wall Street or a corporate from the corporate world. Um, but all wrestling, you know, wrestling is a is a team sport, and there's a lot of camaraderie, you know, um, built around it. But it's also an individual sport because you go out there, you know, by yourself, and it is that preparing to go into a match. One part is working out in the wrestling room working hard, training, all the moves, all the sweat, all of that is a big, big part of it. But it's what's between the ears right before you go out. There's very little difference in the physical makeup of a lot of wrestlers, especially as you move up the line between the high school championships, the NCAA championships. There's not a lot of physical difference between people. And what makes it people talk about mental toughness and different things. But the mindfulness is being able to center yourself and block out all the other noise. If you're looking around and looking at well, who's in the stands and who's there and who's watching me and you're not, you're not focused. And, and actually a true story. So Dan Gable, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and everybody knows the name Dan, um, undefeated through his entire um, career until his um, senior year in college, um, right before his the, the final championship match for in his senior year, um, Wide World of Sports. This was a big thing, and Howard Cosell, and they did a they they did a big interview with him right before he was going out onto the mat. Like you know, congratulations, Dan. This is your last match. How does it feel? Wonderful thing from a from a sponsorship standpoint. But sure. what did it do? It took him out of his preparation. Talk about his mindfulness to never lose a match in your entire high school and college career. You're now at the pinnacle and you're wrestling someone who is an outstanding wrestler. But you go through your own motions and you go through your mindfulness and you can center yourself and get totally prepared. And instead, right before you go out there, hey, Dan, how do you think? This is, you know, um, you know what are you going to do once you win? And, and how does it feel to win, you know, your, you know, retire undefeated? from college, what will that be like? And he's probably trying to think, think about that. He's trying to think, I, I still have to wrestle this match. And he, and I'm sure he didn't raise his hand to do that. They said, you have to do this because of all the sponsorships. And he ended up losing that match. And I don't want to take anything away from his opponent and, and maybe that being the, you know, the real reason, but you have to understand that's, you know, mindfulness and being centered in the moment and blocking out all the noise that's really what it's all about. 
Well, in your book, you talked about accepting death by embracing love. And I want to talk about that because you said people who fear death most actually fear life most. That's very profound. So let's talk about death. Let's talk about how we can face death in a more mindful way. I think the the way to face death in the most mindful way is that it doesn't exist. Because who are we? You have to say, you know, with you know that that classic question, who am I? You know, and, and you're talking about the eye that everybody else sees or the eye that only you see that's inside. And when you focus on the eye that everybody else sees, that's you know, you're that's always changing. And that's, you know, and you're, you're working one day, then you're laid off and you're dating this person, then you're not dating. It's always turning. But the I who's inside, the I that existed before it manifested in this physical body and the I that will continue to exist after this physical body is still with you. That's that I, that consciousness that we want to tap into. And if that consciousness and that I continues you know, once we once we we leave this physical plane, and you say, well, that doesn't die, and that's I think what most of the mystics really understand. You know, when I, I talk about when you, you know, when when someone passes away, and, and even people who had near death experiences, you know, they, a lot of them say they see a tunnel, and then they mm-hmm. they come back and they see a light, but someone. You know, none of them are saying, oh, oh my God, I, I, you know, I still have to go to the cleaners and I should have done this. And, and, and they're still mad at what someone said. You know, those you forget all of that. Right. And so understanding this is we're having a human experience, but that the part of me that is now, you know, came in and, and, and manifested in this body is gonna, the same part of me that that moves on. And then you realize, OK, there's nothing to fear because because, you know, life is eternal. Life is eternal, yeah. And we're all one, you know, in this universe. We we all are on this journey together and we have all of these emotions to deal with. And one of the things you talk about is anger and when anger turns to revenge, when we believe someone has done something to us, then we try to inflict that same mental or emotional pain on them. And then we realize that, perhaps the whole thing is just a story <laughs> you know it's just something we've created well so much it, it's funny you say it's just a story because it's just our perception yeah and how often does you know someone do something and we're convinced it's them something happens and you say i know it was john and someone might say well you don't know for sure maybe it wasn't nope i know it was him and you start you now you're so mad at john you're thinking about how to get him back and and you just you can't get it out of your mind and yet he may never have done what you thought he did and yet that's you're still going there um and i think from a mindfulness standpoint you know even the dalai lama talks about you know getting rid of the, the anger you know that's, yes. that's you know that's you know within you um and sometimes it's it's our perception of what someone else did. And sometimes, sometimes we do it to ourselves. Let's say we're, we're sure someone did it and um, we purposely keep reminding ourselves. Instead of purposely letting it go, we purposely keep reminding ourselves to hold on to it. And I have a very funny story because um, shortly after the, the book was published, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and we call him Uncle Vinny. 
and he's just a positive person. He's always he's always in the present room. He's so mindful. He's so um, energetic. And he said, you know, Kevin, I, I live in the present room all the time now. He said, but it wasn't always that way. He said, I remember the time. He goes, I was working with my um, with my brother, and someone we had our own business, and somebody I they screwed me over, and I. I vowed I was going to get that guy back. So I wrote a note on my desk. And every day when I came in, everybody was saying hi to everybody. I was always in a good mood. And then I sat down at my desk and there was that note, you know, get Carmine back or whatever his name was, you know. And it reminded me that I had to get him back. And then I start to get angry. And, and so I turn, my emotion returning based on when I wrote this note. So one day my twin brother walked in and he said, he goes, Vinny, what is this? And he picked it up. I said, that's my reminder. I got to get Carmen back. He goes, that's why you're so angry all the time when you come to work. He goes, I'm going to get him back. And so he goes, my brother ripped it up. He said, you have to let this go. This is point. So he walked out. He goes, I wrote a new note and put it back down there. And the next day, it was gone. I know my brother ripped it up. And I said, the next day I came, I wrote a new note. And he goes, after about a week, I kept writing this note to remind me to be angry and get back at this guy. And finally I got tired of, of rewriting it because my brother, and I said, you know what, I'm going to let it go. And he did. He goes, and I've never been happier since I haven't thought of him again. And you know, so, you know, it's a one thing that was, he goes, I was doing that to myself and people could see my whole attitude walk in in the morning, happy as can be, and then read that note. And that's, you know, the reminder. So we need reminders to be, to be, um, thoughtful and kind and, and, and reminders to make us feel good, not reminders to be angry. We really do. Kevin, that is a great story. It just illustrates it so clearly. Kevin, I always ask a question about bullying. Do you have a story where maybe you were bullied or it's a story about someone who was or maybe it was where you were a bully, something like that, where mindfulness would have made a difference? Well, you know, well, it's interesting because, you know, having been a wrestler for most of my life, all through junior high and high school and college, um, and even in high school, my I had two older brothers who were wrestlers. And even though I was very small, um, people tend to uh, not want to um, bother with wrestlers. And what I've always found through the years is bullies, bullies are not tough guys. Bullies are, are coming from a point of insecurity. And so, you know, we've always had the saying, you know, bullies start fights, but tough guys finish fights. And so right. bullies don't want to be, you know, um, run into, you know, the tough guy. And so I was always, you know, kind of, uh, you know, avoided because of being wrestling. But um, I do remember, you know, a story vividly. And I put it in the book where um, one day my, my son came home from school and he was talking about it was on Martin Luther King's. Um, birthday, and we started mm-hmm. talking about Martin Luther King of how he, how he helped people, um, even though you know when he didn't need to, and maybe people who you know couldn't um, stand up for themselves. And we talked about how how cool that was, and 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 I saw you know I noticed that he really got it. And about a week later, he came home from school, and he told me that there was a couple of kids bullying another kid at school. And everyone kind of gathered around and was kind of cheering on the bullies as they beat up this one kid. Mm-hmm. And um, I can get emotional thinking about it, but he stepped in and he broke up the fight. Mm-hmm. And it was the it was the first time I ever remember him getting in a fight at school. And I could tell 
it made him feel really good. But think of how it made the other kid feel. Someone said, you know, you're worth sticking up for. Someone said, you know, you are good enough. You are worthy. And, you know, when he went home, how meaningful that must have been to him. And so Paul, my son, had to have been, he had to be mindful in that moment because he had to be aware of what was happening and the emotions of compassion had to kick in in order for him to step in because what was happening with all the other kids, they weren't being mindful. They were caught up in the moment. They were actually cheering like, yeah, oh, look at him. Oh, get that. Oh, did you see that kick? You know, that's yeah. – and, and I'm sure after, after it was over, they are probably like, Uh, I don't know why I kind of was cheering. I didn't really mean to do that, but you get caught up in it and you need to be mindful when it's happening. And and I thought that was a really wonderful story for him and an experience for him. That's a great story. And Mindful Tribe, as you listen to this and maybe you think you want to be a bit more mindful, I highly suggest you get this book by Kevin Murphy, The Three Rooms. And it is a terrific book because it has a way of using different language to explain mindfulness and explain a level of consciousness that we all need to be able to move toward. So I highly recommend it. The subtitle is Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, because that's what we've been talking about is changing your thoughts. Now, as we move toward the end of the interview, Kevin, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who influenced mindfulness in your life? Um, I would I would have to say... Um my wrestling coach, you know, Larry Glenn's, um, he's, uh, he helped me tremendously, you know, keep learning to look within. Yeah. And he put such a great intro in your book. Uh, you know, it was, it was just awesome how he set up the book for you. And I thought that was, that was very powerful. Uh, how you. has mindfulness affected your emotions, Kevin? Well, I think mindfulness has made me aware of my emotions because I think it's, it's mindfulness is really about how we feel. And it is the, it is the merging of our thoughts and emotions. That is when the, well, all the mystics talk about when the two becomes one, you know, the non-duality, um, you know, you can talk about the soul of the Brahman, um, you know, Atman and the, and, and Brahman, the soul and that universal mind all merging into one and the thoughts and the emotions all mer- merging into one. And I think that's, that's so important. And so when I think of mindfulness, I think not only of the conscious awareness of my thoughts, but how it makes me feel and keeping in that, you know, in that centered place where it's thoughts of kindness, love, appreciation, and gratitude that really does help. Kindness, love, appreciation, and gratitude. Yeah, such a powerful thought for us. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness, Kevin? Well, I look at breathing when I, when I look within and, and communicate within, because I think it's really important um, to, to connect with that, that universal mind or, or, or consciousness that we all have. And, and when I've asked that question sometimes within, like, so where are you? Are you here? 
I've, I've received an answer that, yes, I am in your breath. And so that thought, if you think of that, that, that I, well, I think of my breath as my higher self, and I'm always here. And it's as long as, as, long as I'm breathing, I can, I can feel that higher self with me. And that's my connection. That's my connection to, you know, it's within your heart and, and, and that, you know, the thoughts and the minds. But I think of that breath. It's not just something, well, okay, monitor my breathing. No, I feel you. That's what I'm saying. I, I know you're here because I can feel the breath. And I know my higher self is saying to me, as long as you can feel your breath, you can feel me. I love that. Thinking of your breath as your higher self. That, that is really powerful. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? I think one of my favorite all-time books was The Untethered Soul from Michael Singer. And it's not just because it gets you to, to, to look within, you know, and to connect to that that universal, you know, consciousness that we all have, but it's in the stories that he tells and, and the analogies that he makes um, that that just makes it makes it an enjoyable read. But it keeps reinforcing the same message about mindfulness and, and and looking within and connecting within. I really enjoy Michael Singer as well. He's a powerful author. Very much so. And are there any apps you use to help with your mindfulness? Well, one of the apps that we do use, and I and and I have an 11 year old daughter who who uses it as well. It's the Calm app, right. and um, it's just it's so simple because you know and it has these you know different meditations, and you can do just a couple of minutes. Uh, and you know, one time I took a picture of my my daughter just sitting you know on the couch meditation she just had you know a little headset on and and i and she looked so peaceful and and i went over and i looked and i said oh it's, it's the combat like i didn't know i didn't tell her about it she must have looked on the phone and we have like in the iCloud. it must have came up on on her on her phone i said oh look at that she's uh she found it and she was using it and so if it can teach children to me and it's all about teaching the children about mindfulness as well and they're never too young to to learn that um, if this app can help help them become more centered and mindful, then it's okay with me. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Kevin, do you meditate every day? And if so, what does it look like? Um, I do. I, I meditate in, every morning. Um, and, you know, I come downstairs. I have a cup of um, um, coffee usually. And um, I just sit down. And sometimes I listen to something for five or ten minutes to just kind of something soothing. And then I just kind of turn it off. And I just it's, – it's not just the absence of thoughts because I look at, look at um, meditation as the absence of thoughts. But it's, it's really connecting within. But also it's – I think meditation is every single day. You know, it's all through the day and every day. And so, you know, I don't want to meditate five, 10, 15 minutes in the morning. And then like so many people, they get out in the world and by mid, you know, noontime, they're all stressed out. Um, really, all through the day should be a meditation. And, and the one question I keep asking myself all day long is, where am I? Where am I? Meaning, where are my thoughts or which room am I in? And it's that simple question just by saying all day long, where am I or which room are my thoughts in? 
the simple answering of that, because sometimes you say, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about this, I'm really stressed about it, or I'm thinking about Tim, I'm still mad at him, but just the being able to answer where your thoughts are, you've now separated your awareness from your thoughts. Right. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you with us. How can we reach out to you? I know we can get your book, The Three Rooms. How can we connect with you? Um, we can. Um, the website is www.thetreerooms.com. You can come through there or Facebook page, um, which is just The Three Rooms. And I'll be building up more social media, you know, in the in the near future. So, um, but right now the 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 website thetreerooms.com is uh, the best one. Kevin, thanks for writing the book to share with the world an easy way to understand consciousness and mindfulness. And thanks for being here on Mindfulness Mode today. It's been a real real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And thank you for having me. Great. Bye now. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, this sleep naturally guided meditation that I have for you just for Mindful Tribe members. It's to help you receive the deep, easy sleep that you deserve. Sleep naturally and you'll be able to fall asleep easily, get more work done tomorrow and feel better about it. Rest comfortably without effort. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash sleep for your free download. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.